There are some stories so powerful and essential that they will be told in every era, art form, and language imaginable. Others are poignantly left to the individual, the indescribable weights we cannot lift, or the dreams which wake us, stunned and speechless. In the space between, our lives amongst, against, and alongside one another, all at once expressing, translating, and in the brightest, most encouraging of moments, truly understanding. To live is to navigate and recognize these signals. We often scoff at the trite ideas we hear echoed across the generations, and until we are met by profound circumstances, we pay little heed to these birds above us, be they doves or vultures. Take, for example, the counsel to let go of what you truly love. When do we take time to consider the parallel sensation of being let go by those who truly love us, sent out into the early hours of a morning you didn't expect, alone? Or in Socrates' paradoxical encouragement to know thyself, ringing simultaneously alongside his wisdom of knowing that he knew nothing. Every one an innocent chorus until you know their original verse on a raw level. And although we clamor for clarity, what matters is how we receive it, often sudden and unexpected. One such arrival took place for me on March 7th of this year, a day that, in irony and agony, I couldn't forget. After shutting down and proceeding to clean the dust from my overused desktop computer, I powered the machine back on for a heartbreak. Lost somehow, in those unremarkable moments, the operating system of the machine had vanished from its hard drives and so, I was told, had every piece of data. In some silent, decisive instant, the digital endeavors and mementos of a decade were burned without the smoke to show for it. Any good story would span more than a few miserable minutes, but this painful episode was an ocean unto itself, a void commensurate to prior creation. In this event, a birth and a death, and so I give you the attendant certificate and eulogy for such an occasion. Among the lost were hundreds of poems, a diary of sorts. I had collected them since I began writing in August 2009, inspired by, of all things, an NPR story covering the death of Ted Kennedy. I reference the numbers not as an accomplishment, but to show a meaningful and impactful span of time. In a word, a life, however private. And though I began my favorite form by writing on demise, whatever thread I wove, often awkwardly and in forced rhymes, provided a clear path to the person I've become. You may not find the evidence to concur, but in the wisdom I believe children possess, I have a heartfelt conviction that this younger self of mine knew the proper compass heading that would take me out of a deep depression, lead me to a college of writers on a hill, and into the voice I use today. It is not that I wrote well that makes the wound personal and heavy, but that my writings were proof of having lived and felt in the private exploration and subsequent confidence of one's own heart and mind. The English language is certainly my first love, but it was his before mine, and I owe them my life for the romance. There were, of course, more casualties of the untimely data corruption, but none so illustrative as the voices I once held and the fleeting feelings they described. 
As if told to envision my past as a series of deaths, I can only share my current seat with the delight of having felt anything so vividly and the heartache of knowing that those moments might be as singular as their observer at the time. Not important, no more deserving of ink or time than any other, but distinct, palpably human, and relieved by the caverns of exploration afforded to us in language. Each piece of this treasure, sunken beneath recollection, as I told a friend, amounted to evidence of a life I'd be proud to inhabit, one whose owner I've been seeking and describing, one whose records I've foolishly lost. That author may have been prescient of his digital mortality, and the man who would have to manage the rest without him. Whether in narcissism or an inner life marked by self-understanding, that morning was a window into the truth behind loss and selflessness. We often take the latter to mean compassion, but as living is a gatherer's journey, true loss takes a blade to identity. We wonder who we are without the items, people, or memories we had moments before. But it seems to me that the truth lies in our belief of ever having had something in the first place. Our abilities to create, to love, to foster memories, all feel external and separate from us because of their subjects. But these are internal capacities, not unlike a hard drive, no less powerful because of ephemeral evidence. And indeed, if loss in all its forms is the cost for feeling connected, present, or human, I will continue to take the heights and risk the fall. Because in true creativity, there will always be hazards, thorough and inherent. But in our arts, our signs of life, there is the looming danger we forget that we are the ones who signal our declarations of here and now. You'll notice that in these arts we possess, endings and borders permit us certainty and sanctuary. Photographs are cropped, and every note or chord eventually dives beneath a sheet of silence. It is not only true that all good things must end, but that we are ill-equipped to appreciate the waters in which we swim until they have drastically changed or vanished. But therein lies the larger truth, whose seeds span centuries and bloom in the present. There is no greater container, no more meaningful catalog or cartographer of capitalized human life than each particular, strikingly singular span of breath and pulse. That's our course, the cause for living, for navigating our ocean depths, forests, and stretches of desert road to distant mountains. Should the rest of the world shrug in apathy or misunderstanding as you recount your voyages, may you have the bracing self-assurance to cherish your recollections nonetheless, more so in the precious individuality of your memories and your role in being their vivid keeper. In our insistence to capture these moments, musings, and serendipity, we do so at great cost to the archivist. In essence, I have lost nothing. Fittingly so, the weight of my emotionally sensitive electric charges is almost mockingly infinitesimal. Even with supposed and ample memory, my computer could not sincerely remember, and maybe if it could, it would have hesitated even a minute longer before the wonders I thought it contained whispered away. For me, there was no more sharp demonstration of the dual frailty and beauty of humanity and all it hopes to accomplish, but memories are simply the thoughts we choose to value, the flames we try to stoke. 
And in our era, where nearly everything is treated as memorable, we remember that much less. Gradually, we have each become a constant messenger, fixated on coming across perfectly and in perfection. And it's possible that language was the first diversionary path of ours, an attempt to capture the fleeting guests of our hearts. We might benefit from remembering that in our presence alone, we are the difference between light and imagery, or air and breath. As I sat in despair on that rainy March morning, it was the thought of my friendships that underscored this difference and revived me. The people with whom we share our lives, the living records of who we are and how we've changed. I reflected on those of my past year, those I've yet to meet, and their inspiring capacity to touch my core. Those who have been sincere enough to offer new ideas, kindness, and excursions beyond myself, they will be the ones to help write my story in as many meanings as that syllable holds. It's not to machines that I entrust my one wild and precious life and any evidence of its fleeting joys, but to the people who give it air. In the wake of that morning, it seems to me that every act of recording and preservation is a statement of value and a cry against the brevity of life. But regardless of our struggles, sentiments, and sacrifices, the past will deliver us, blinking and baffled, into the present, whether we know its name, face, or posture. We are the furthest our ancestors have ever reached, and they might find it odd, if not altogether ungrateful, if we dwell upon the architects of the mountain runway on which we find ourselves. Theirs was a legacy of climbing, and we would do well to enjoy and expand upon the heights they've reached and all they could not complete. And as countless individuals have been parent and grandparent to the present, stitched by their hand and needle, so long as we have thread and time, we may continue. There might be a comfort in knowing, but there is a deeper human truth in going nonetheless into obscurity to earn ourselves while certainty tempts us with titles. But this fear of loss, one so many of us seem to tacitly acknowledge in our fervent digital preservation of every salad and sunset, is not what it appears to be. What we fear the most, it seems to me, is who we will be when we lose what we love. There will be one fewer supportive hand on your shoulder, quiet where encouraging words once held your ear, and foggy facades where clear faces once stood, neatly arranged in memory. Loss reminds us of our independence from them. There is an insecurity which is laid bare when the comforts of connection and accumulation are stripped away. But it is less a helplessness and more an opportune vulnerability. In the seconds, days, and weeks after true, irreversible loss, you are presented with unimaginable choice because after all, we can't imagine filling the void, and yet before the storm of loss, that which we love reinforces a tremendous capacity to be, to create. That hasn't gone. Loss tells us we are mathematically, logically, and emotionally reduced, and yet as you exist within your heart and your mind, loss often leaves you with something you didn't once have. Whether in wisdom, time, or simply experience, your recollection of having is worth so much more than the heartache of losing. If we hold too tightly to the familiar, we risk being lulled into a fatal embrace. 
but if we can seek to grasp what we don't yet understand, we will be well met by open winds and better worlds. Whether forced out beneath the weight of winter or coaxed by the charm of summer air, the change we do not seek may well find us soon in the form of loss to force our hand either way. That said, I do still wonder about the boy I've lost, about the young men who held up the bonds between us, and how we may have lost one another. He may not have died, as the term eulogy would imply, but he has gone somewhere. He may not have sacrificed his life, but he gave everything he was to me. And were I all at once ancient and newborn, I would speak directly to this boy, and say that as you couldn't help but dig, I intend to build. I know that as you found love for so many people and phenomena external to yourself, the reason I am able to love myself today is because of your reluctance to do so. You searched constantly for words I hope to say and feelings I plan to keep close at heart. I don't think you were alone in feeling alone. I don't think you were absurd to dream of an existence characterized by understanding. After the loss, my first and strongest impulse was to retrieve your work, to seek your revival. But I think you were after something even more intangible than digital receipts of having reflected. You were writing a love letter to the world, and I plan to deliver it. Your lingering questions are likely to prompt my longest, most fascinating adventures. In time, I trust that your firm misunderstandings will give way to my empathy for persisting in wandering into the unknown and for planting a firm and verdant grove in your wake. I hope others will thrive with the gifts you've shared with me. As I see it, the best I can do is live a life honoring the names and aims we both shared to trust that his ceaseless self-expression and preservations were a sign of faith in who he was, who we were becoming, and a gentle, nearly silent appreciation of himself, meant as a firm embrace for someone who needed that knowledge. He was, in preserving and believing in my curiosity, the greatest teacher I will ever have, my kindest friend, and a welcome place to rest my head. You've probably heard people say before that you can never go home again. We build up these places of significance and comfort to ease our forward journeys. But if we're truly growing, the two shapes will no longer fit one another. A home, like any human creation, is a request for serendipity. But by dreams or disasters, we'll eventually be drawn away from these dens. And it's true that you can never go home again being different than the one who locked the front door as you left this morning. You can mourn all that you could not bring with you, whether lost or simply locked away, but it is also true that our homes will never be as large, fascinating, or instructive as the world beyond. Blunt, crude, and unyielding, the pain of loss will open the path between the two when you least expect it and most need the challenge. Where I go now, I tread with fewer weights and greater momentum. It is a freedom and a feeling that should be afforded to all and a capacity present in each of us. 
In moments like these, when you plunge headlong through the sky, as the force of the fall strips the armor from your skin, I hope you'll distinguish the two. That which strangers see, what you've been taught is you, and the person who actually is. As the stormy gusts soar through you and your constructions, I hope you'll feel whole and truthful. Unencumbered, I hope you'll place trust in the long-standing human traditions of resilience and adaptive creativity. After all, life is touched, colored, and arguably framed at every new chapter by loss. If it hasn't touched yours, it will. And as these greater cycles go, we will find ourselves drowning in those tides of vacant desert air more than once. Depending on your view of things, the human story is one of a staggered and jagged descent rather than a long and arduous climb. I see the latter and hold out hope that when you do meet your great losses, you will find their place in your story. If they are true losses, they will sound like the absence of brilliant things and their witnesses. In the natural imprints of the world and its inhabitants on your life, you will place meaning in them. In their absence, find some way to honor and recount to those eager to listen. And whatever you do, don't allow pain to obscure the process of truth. All that you have ever known and loved was once strange and new. And you gave the chance to foster some mutual forest. Do not, in the grave conflagrations that find us, Forget your former truth and vigor. Find new seeds and others who have suffered as you have. If there is one strength which spans the breadth of human culture, it is that which imbues even the smallest of moments with meaning. Countless important moments since the beginning of time have transpired without any records at all. The first words ever spoken, love ever felt, or footsteps cautiously laid upon untrodden sands. They aren't insignificant without record, but they're rather profound because of all they made possible, the stories which emerged from minute decisions or strokes of good fortune. We're quick to lay value judgments on events that may be the strong seeds of distant kindnesses. I hope my experience is one such example. So many of us seem to believe that if a tree falls without an audience, then indeed its value is lessened. We appear almost obsessed with creating a forest in which no tree falls without record, or even perhaps that our humanity could prevent any tree from falling at all. And though many significant events have been recorded, there is a mysterious property of importance applied to what we choose to remember in privacy or in public. Recollection itself is a means of ascribing value, and the more we capture and preserve, the more we imply meaning. Maybe my moment in March was an entire forest tilted heavily by its own self-importance to the point of collapse. So often we hold on to or heavily disguise our pain because it's the last remnant of the experiences that shaped who we are and without identity, who will navigate the world? We seek answers in those burdens, but we grow most clearly when we let go of that which no longer defines us. For all that archives astound and soothe the mind, I may have saved too much, and in doing so, attached too great a value to a boy of the past. Inevitably, I'm going to join him someday, and I look forward to telling him what it was like remembering to forget who we were and how we shared them. <laughs>